Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin with Three Pillar CEO David DeWolf. Hey, Will. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. I'm super excited. We've got Dan Clausen here with us today. Talk a little bit about the internet, talk a little bit about agility, and how you innovate software products in today's rapidly changing environment. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. Glad to have you. Absolutely. So, David, you mentioned we're going to be talking about the internet today. Uh, it's a little broader than just the internet, but I was online this week as, you know, I'm want to do, as we all are want to do, and there's an image making the rounds on the Twitter sphere. showed a map of the internet in 1969, a mere 45 years ago, and it existed in four places, University of Utah, UCLA, UC Santa Barbara, and SRI. And if you fast forward 45 years to today, we're surrounded by the cloud, by mobility. We're surrounded basically everywhere by the internet. And it's changing the, way, changing the world in ways that we never would have thought of even 20 years ago. Uh, there's a, a, another stat, but less than 20 years ago, 40% of adult Americans didn't know what the internet was. Another 21% had a vague notion that it had something to do with computers. <laughs> Well, you know, one of the things that strikes me about this image that you talk about is the way innovation has changed. Think about the internet and how it hit us. Um, in 69, this was a huge government initiative. We were talking about large universities that were part of a government program to create a new means for sharing data, sharing information. Today, if you think about uh, innovation and how it uh, protrudes and, and begins to, to blossom within our culture, it tends to start not at the top, at the government and at these big agencies. It tends to start within the culture. It tends to start within the people. You said, hey, you found this on the Twitter sphere. Think about Twitter. How did it come about? It wasn't some big government program. It was somebody in the garage that was playing and experimenting. And it evolved over time. And I, I think when we, we talk about how you innovate, I think that's one of the shifts that has happened over the last 45 years we have to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so, Dan, what's your, what's your first recollection of the Internet? You were at Netscape back in the day. Sure. I was uh, doing messaging products before I got to uh, Netscape. And, and uh, messaging was taking place, you know, email, things like uh, MCI mail, um, were were common, and uh, soon people started paying more and more attention to using this TCP/IP protocol, or or what the uh, the internet is based on, and uh, pretty rapidly it started becoming the the dominant network. Um, we had a lot of companies that were trying to do networking with products like Novell and and uh, and others. Um, and you know, remember, Novell used to be a ninety percent market share of all internet technologies. Um, and excuse me, of all network technologies within uh, within an enterprise. Um, so a lot of my my work was being done on things like uh, Novell's um, networking protocols. And then uh, very rapidly, we started realizing that the that uh, more and more of our work was being done over and, and looking at data over on the internet using use groups to uh, to look for information about programming and messaging and and how things were working. And pretty soon, that was where we were spending all of our time. Uh, soon, I made it my full time job. And and what has changed over the course of the last you know fifteen or, or twenty years as you as you've seen the uh, product space grow? What's what's different now than say in the Netscape days as far as building a product and getting it into the marketplace? 
Well, I think the, the biggest change is what the cost is to start building and testing ideas. You know, a while ago, it, it really took a lot of money to put together a, a, a platform uh, to do a lot of the technologies. So if you look at trying to do messaging on a, on a large scale, it took um, large servers and infrastructure to do that that was extremely expensive. Nowadays, the, you can build to, together, you know, even a, a corporate projects um, using the technologies that we have available today. It's gone from from you know, $50 million down to $50,000 down to $5,000 and even less to get a project uh, idea up and running and started and, and validated. And I, I think that emphasizes another point, Will, which is going back to what we were saying about the internet. Think about those um, the, the ability to sponsor a project now, right? It's not that $50 million project, Dan, like it used to be. Uh, you don't need the government involved. You don't need huge enterprise involved. And I think that's why we're seeing innovation blossom and the speed of technology is advancing so rapidly these days uh, is because anybody can really innovate and anybody can um, start to put their ideas out there and experiment with them. I think that's the other change I see is, is this notion of experimentation because it's so much, much more cost effective uh, people are putting things out there and gathering feedback from the user community to evolve products versus doing them perfectly the, the first time around. I think there's a great example of that that we see every day. If you, if mm. you look at something like the Apple um, App Store, it doesn't cost much for a person to put together an app. It costs $99 to get a developer license to publish an app. So we've seen an explosion of people just trying stuff. And yeah, a lot of this stuff doesn't work. But you know what? It was because you tried and tried and tried. We're finding there's fantastic apps being created. That really low cost, uh, that low barrier to entry, the low cost of entry has allowed experimentation. And what we're starting to see is enterprises are starting to copy that kind of a model, that, that taking small bets, placing a lot of small bets, um, is a lot more, uh, has a greater outcome, a, a greater return, and a greater uh, chance of reaching a business outcome than only placing one extremely expensive bet. And people are realizing they don't know what they don't know, right? And yeah, so exactly. you can plan and think, oh, I'm going to build this perfect product and we'll release it in a year and a half. Um, they don't know what they don't know. And so that's one of the reasons I think that these uh, technologies and this approach of more iteration and experimentation is being so successful. Exactly. And, and you look at the App Store example again, it's really about um, seeing what users decided to take advantage of. I might have had the most brilliant idea, what I thought was interesting, but nobody really cared. Yeah. But other areas, you know, who knew that some of these applications would be as popular as they were? Turns out that a lot of people like Candy Crush or <laughs> some other kind of uh, form of entertainment. And it was just through experimentation and listening to users and watching the user behavior that gives you that feedback loop that says you're on the right path. Remember when Twitter first came out, I can't tell you how many people, well-respected people I heard say, oh, this is stupid. Who's ever going to communicate with 180 characters, right? And uh, uh, 140. 140, sorry. Yeah, it's even less, <laughs> right? It's even more stupid, right? And how many people have eaten crow, right? And come back and said, wow, was I wrong? So, Dan, you talked a little bit earlier about the barriers to entry and how they are uh, increasingly being lowered. I saw an interesting stat from Forrester, uh, and, and a, a number of business leaders were posed the question, how quickly do you want strategic IT services or software products to be delivered from concept to production? And the answers were 17% wanted them delivered in fewer than three months, 34% wanted them delivered in three months to six months, and 31% wanted them delivered in under a year, between six and 12 months. 
So we're looking at 82% of business leaders basically demanding that IT services or software products be delivered in less than a year. So when you look at, at how that is, is actually done, um, what, are, what are some of the ways that you and your teams do that here? The biggest change taking place right now is really about this methodologies. How do you build software? And a while ago, uh, four guys got together and said there's really a lot of problems with the way software is being built. There's, there's just too many product failures going on. And failures are, are measured in a lot of ways. But the most important way is users are not really wanting to use what is being created. So they got together and, and came up with a, what they called the, the Agile Manifesto. And the Agile Manifesto really had just four components to it. it was, it's really, really a simple idea. How do we value individuals and interactions um, at the highest value? And, and doing that over the t- traditional ways of working with a, with a development process was really about process and tools. So really thinking about individuals. Um, number two was working software. It's not about documentation and specs. It's about working software. Show me something that's really running. Number three was customer collaboration. Working with those customers all the time to get the actual thing you're building in their hands so they can give you feedback right away. And because of that feedback, we have number four, which is responding to change. Change happens very, very rapidly in this space. It's not only change of what your customers think they want. It's also what the competitors are doing, what the landscape is doing. So being able to respond to that kind of change. So building something smaller and quicker and getting it out to users and having them give you feedback that you've built something that was valuable to them was really the really uh, the big idea. And that's that started what we now have is agile methodologies and agile practices. There's a lot of different agile practices out there and methodologies, but they all come back to the same idea. How do you make something very small, very quickly, get it into the hands of users and get those users giving you feedback immediately? Dan, I think you make a great point there is so often, and I think agile is an overused word sometimes in the software space, right? So for those listening to the podcast that are uh, involved with software development, I think the word's kind of worn out. Um, and sometimes we focus on the practices, the things that we do as we're developing software, as opposed to going back to those four fundamental principles of why is it that we are doing these practices and those things of valuing working software over the process or over the documentation, et cetera, valuing the personal interactions and really the feedback we can gather from the customer. Those types of principles are so powerful when we understand why we build software the way we do today. And I think there's a a strong uh, feedback loop, and we see this from the startup world. We see that from the app store. Just getting something out there and testing it with your users is far more valuable than sitting in a room and thinking about it and not having real feedback from real users. Mm -hmm. And getting that out there as quickly as possible is really the key. The old way of market research, uh, I wouldn't say it's totally dead, but the best market research is actually experimentation and actually using the product. Absolutely. And this is now starting to infect the enterprises. Mm -hmm. So it's not just uh, taking place in the startup world, and it's not just taking place by people building apps uh, for the app store, but enterprises are starting to take advantage of this as well. And it's really that that feeling that IT departments are are becoming more and more risk-adverse. And that risk aversion is is stifling the ability for an enterprise to be innovative. But this new idea that that is borrowed from this uh, agile environment, the startup world, that says we need to take uh, smaller bets and we need to put a bunch of different ideas out there and try them out um, and get some real feedback from our users and then put more money and more effort behind the ones that are really working. 
And, you know, Dan, it's interesting that you mention uh, the enterprise. Uh, it, it hit the, the wires yesterday that the CEO of Starbucks, who, you know, you would imagine would probably be relatively comfortable with their market position in this day and age. They're, they seem to be on every other corner in every major city in the world. And pretty innovative, by the way, as well, right? Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. So he will be, uh, a- according to the wire, spending more time focusing on mobile payments, loyalty cards, and other digital projects of increasing importance for the coffee chain. So they make and sell coffee, but digital is becoming a giant portion of what it is that they do. Well, I think that's the uh, relationship that the company has with the, every individual. It's really about social engagement, about customer engagement, and, and being able to be connected with that customer at all times. And everybody's carrying around a smartphone now of some kind, and that smartphone is really a gateway back to the enterprise and the, and the thinking that that company has. So in the case of Starbucks, when I walk into a Starbucks, um, I really love this idea because giving the order and taking my money should not be the most difficult part of the transaction. You know, I, I often observe uh, retail experiences where taking my money is the longest, hardest part. <laughs> How, you know, what's wrong with this picture? We, we want that to be the smoothest part. We want it to be easy and, and painless, right? It, if you're the retailer. It, exactly. It should yeah. be absolutely transparent in the, in the process. It's really about uh, receiving the goods that you're looking for and getting out the door. It's a great example. I love the Apple stores for this reason. I don't know if you've seen it, Dan, but you can go into an Apple store, retail store, and I can actually self-checkout. I get my iPhone out. I pull up the Apple Store app. I scan the barcode myself. I pay with my iTunes store and I walk out. I don't even have to talk to anybody. I can be walking out the door as I'm buying. I love that experience. The payment gets out of the way. I love that. And, and it can even be car- carried one step further. Maybe in the future, just picking an item up off the shelf and you could put it in your pocket. And as you walk out the door, it'll charge you for it because it's actually watching all the tr- all the items in the in the store who has them and who walked out the door with them. I love that. And, and you know, I think going back to Starbucks too, it also proves a point that the software is becoming the brand today. Even Starbucks, a coffee company, touches their customers more through their software than any other way. Isn't that fascinating? And I think we see that trend across all industries. Absolutely. I think the other big one, obviously, is the Nike example where where using the different tools that are available, you know, the Nike products and the Nike brand is about fitness and fitness is a mindset and fitness is about motivation Mm -hmm. and it's about getting up every day and doing the things that um, some of us would prefer not to do. But we're motivated because of the different uh, inner engagement and interaction models that we have. And Nike's really captured that and brought it right to our to our devices, made sure that we're aware of where we're going, and it makes us more engaged in in trying to accomplish the goals that are personal goals. It happens to be using Nike technology to do it. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? They used to be an athletic apparel company. Then people talked about them as a marketing company. Today, they're an information company. They collect all sorts of information and sell it back to you. It's, it's amazing. It's fascinating to see that shift in strategy to me. Absolutely. And Dan, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, about how to launch software products quickly to the market uh, and, and how to innovate. Uh, if you're somebody who's out there and trying to figure out what exactly it is that you need to build, what your company needs from an, yeah, for, from an innovation perspective, um, how do you identify exactly what it is that you should be creating for your customers? That's a great question, Will. I, I think one of the great uh, observations we're making is that the, the lack of innovation in some of these organizations is not from a lack of innovative ideas inside of the company. There's plenty of innovative ideas. It's really tapping into the people who have those innovative ideas and aligning them with business objectives. 
So once you, once you can say that there's a, a business objective that we're working on, tap the internal employees, you probably already have a lot of talent on, on staff that has the innovative ideas. Now it's about creating a roadmap that will help you move towards those, um, collecting some features and building a backlog. So this is really the process of, of getting an agile uh, uh, process started. Um, but really working on what those business objectives are and aligning your ideas to those business objectives, one of the great tools of, of doing that is this business model canvas. Um, it's a, a book that was written by a fellow uh, out in the Silicon Valley while he was working at a startup company out there. And it's a fascinating story about uh, looking at business plans. And using a tool like the Business Model Canvas will really help crystallize what some of those value propositions that your target audience is looking for. How are you going to reach that target audience um, that you that you want to deliver your product to? Um, and then thinking about the uh, the different ways that you're going to really engage that that audience. From that, it's really uh, becomes quite easy to understand what you want to start building, and then start building small versions towards that direction and testing it over and over again with that audience. And what are some of the considerations that you should look at when you're when you're building out a business model canvas? Well, I think a couple of the big areas. Um, obviously, if this is a product that's going to a consumer market, you're you really need to have a business model that works. You're looking for a revenue stream that's going to be sustainable. Um, we're starting. We see a lot of startup companies uh, struggle with this area. Most enterprises, um, this is not for, uh, an area to them, uh, an issue for them, if they're uh, looking at consumer facing. Many enterprise projects we work on um, are also really just kind of an internal for their own employees um, or therefore a market where it's really not about engaging them with a financial proposition, but a value proposition as, as, uh, as we looked at with Starbucks. It's really about engaging them. So the, the Delta Airlines of the world really creating value by um, engaging their users with services that make their lives, their customers' lives better. So looking through what, the, what those value propositions for the user are, um, how that company is going to be engaged to them, what your target audiences are going to be, um, is really the starting point. You know, it's fascinating, too, as you talk through that. Um, while I think that it's pretty commonplace for enterprises to be thinking about their business model and some of these things, I would say specifically within technology in some of these enterprises, what we see is that an IT mindset has perpetrated the organization. And IT organizations historically have really operated against timelines and scope and budget and I think sometimes have lost this business context and what the enterprise is great at in a marketing department hasn't filtrated down and I think recapturing what we call this product mindset is such an important part so that everything we do even those technology um, actions that we're taking in this experimentation is against the ultimate business objective like you mentioned revenue growth market share uh, user adoption those types of metrics. Absolutely. And it's, and it's keeping that idea of a product mindset rather than a project man, mindset. And in a, in a product mindset, you're really focused on, is the user going to take advantage of the thing that I'm trying to create? Because if I can't get that engagement in any fashion, then I'm not going to get anywhere of my business objectives. You know, you, the old way of saying that is, is uh, are the dogs eating the dog food, right? So are the users really consuming the ideas that you're trying to put out there in the way that you thought they were going to? And chances are they won't. The first time, they won't. The second time, they won't. You will need a few iterations on that, and you need a process that allows for that change to occur. And sometimes uh, we get too locked into this idea of a project that has a, a starting point and ending point, a fixed budget, a fixed timeline, and a fixed set of features. 
But when your users aren't adopting the kind of idea that you first put out there, you, you need to validate that this is a, the assumptions that you made in the way the users are going to behave are actually true. And when they're not true, you have to have a way to account for that. And that's really the, the kind of advantage of taking uh, an agile approach rather than a structured approach to it. Um, sometimes it's better to deliver a different product, a smaller product, um, than you had originally set out for, rather than achieving the goal of meeting the project objectives, which are not correct. So I'd rather ship a different product, a smaller product that is successful, than a product that nobody wants to use. Even if it was perfect against the original definition, right? Exactly. <laughs> so we often see companies that are really measured by following the plan right. and, and uh, project managers that are measured by, did you execute against the plan? But they forget that what they really should be measuring themselves by are, are you meeting the business objectives with the software that you're producing? Are the users using it? Are they adopting it? Are they engaged with it? Are they loving what you've created? I think it was General Patton that said the value is in the planning, not the plan, right? Absolutely. So going back and, and replanning for uh, that change and taking taking the change that they've given you, the new ideas, the, the feedback they've given you, piling that back into what's called a, a backlog, and then reprioritizing your backlog with that in mind. Sometimes those changes can take place way downstream. Uh, later in the project cycle, a version two of the project, a version three of the project. Sometimes if you don't make that change right now, and take something else out of the out of the project. You're not going to get engagement with a with your with your target audience. So are we are we living in a in a world where you would say that a software product is never officially done? Absolutely, I I, I would at least say that. I would love to go back and and. Um, rev a lot of the products that I've built in the past. And the products that we're building today really are about uh, creating iterations of those products. And we see this today with our, our users. Again, we'll, we'll use the mobile phone as the example, or maybe some of the other desktop applications you're using, where updates are starting to come to you uh, very, very frequently. And the system has now created a process of accepting those updates very easily, very quickly. So applications on your phone are being updated all the time so that they're becoming richer and taking care of, uh, of uh, problems that they might have had. So they're doing bug fixes, they're doing performance optimization, and they're adding new features to help them uh, be competitive against the product landscape that they're existing in and be more engaging. And they can do that by just adding a few more features, releasing it out to the market, continue to add more features, release it out to the market over and over again. So there's, there's this concept of continual innovation and continual evolution of products, Dan. But then there's also this concept of if you don't totally disrupt, then you're going to be disrupted. And if you look at, you, you used Novell as an example earlier uh, in our conversation, 90% market share, where are they today? Look at BlackBerry. When you talk about the phone, they were the dominant king of the entire mobile phone space. And all of a sudden, they are struggling like nobody else. How do you know? How do you know when it's time for total disruption versus just evolution and continual innovation or adaptation of what you already have in the product in the market? Uh, that's a great question, David. And I think that there's a lot of companies that are, that are struggling with this um, all the time. I think that we're looking at, at different kinds of challenges that we need to uh, companies are trying to face. One of the challenges is to get back into the ring with the competitors. So you're looking to, to move your product so that it is um, equally competitive as the market that you're currently in. We'll call that a neutralization effort taking place. Um, other companies know that they need to get away from the current competitors. 
they need they know that the competitors have moved into their space and they're losing market share against a competitor they need to make a differentiation so they want to move their product significantly out of the current competitive landscape so that they can be that unique product in the market again or they're really looking at an optimization problem that mm -hmm. the current software is doing fine except it's reducing the costs would be really beneficial and it turns out that you can do two out of those three at a time very very easily you cannot do all three at once mm -hmm. and many times we see uh, companies coming to us saying we want to uh, differentiate from our customers we want to leapfrog all of our competitors and this platform we're on is costing us too much um, we really try to scale that back and, and look at doing two at a time. Um, and the best two you can do together are ones that where you make process improvements and use the savings from the process improvements to really fund some of the innovation that's taking place. And that really creates this healthy cycle to get you back into an, a, a competitive position and back into being the market leader in a, in a particular space. And so, Dan, if you're a, an Evernote or an Instagram or a Facebook or somebody whose product exists online, Obviously, there's a need to be continually innovating and moving your product forward, or else you may get swallowed up or surpassed by the competition. If you're a uh, Kellogg's, is a company we talked about last week on the podcast. If you're a BlackBerry, is a company that David mentioned, and obviously, hardware matters. If you're going to get lapped by, by Samsung, by Apple, you can't just stop or you'll be buried, which is what's happened with BlackBerry. But if you're a traditional company who is a consumer packaged goods company, let's say, how do you uh, how do you figure out what it is that you should be innovating toward? Well, I think one of the important uh, aspects that we talked about is really looking for places that you can get that customer engagement. Um, who thought that the ways that a company like Lowe's uh, would really be engaging? Um, they've really moved the needle, even in an area where one never thought of, uh, you know, you thought of Lowe's maybe as having a loyalty card, but they quickly realized that customers are coming back over and over again, um, that they are looking for things um, on a repeated basis. So something as simple as, um, I wish I could get all the cans of paint out of my garage. And if I could just have the, the company that, that sells me my paint, Lowe's, um, have that on file, and if I can just go down there and buy a small can when I need it, rather than having me become the storage unit for that, is just brilliant. Um, the next wave of that we're starting to see take place. If I go in and buy three parts to fix my toilet, um, they can basically figure out, based on the items that I've purchased, what kind of a project that I'm doing. And it's also possible them to recommend the four other parts that I might not have thought of. So I don't have to go back 13 times in one day like I do right now, huh? I go back to the, uh, to the home improvement store on a repeated basis every time I do a project. It drives my wife crazy. <laughs> Mine too. We, we've got to get our wives talking. <laughs> but it's a great example of really looking at ways that customers are engaged with their companies um, and looking for what are those things, what are those value-added services they can provide in order to make that experience a little bit better. And it could be anything from, from finding information to print on the receipt to having a mobile phone app in their pocket that allows them to have the information they need when they need it, um, or take some burden off of them so that they don't have to think about it. Yeah, you just mentioned something in terms of predicting what other parts I'm going to need. I think that's an element uh, of innovation that we're seeing as a big trend today is this, this concept of predictive analytics, digesting information, digesting data, and being able to predict what's next is something that I think is really embedded in some of the most innovative products today. Would you agree with that? 
Oh, absolutely. And we see this from a lot of companies that are starting to crack the code on how to use this term. Um, I'll, I'll call it big data, but it really is about pulling together information from a lot of different sources. Um, sometimes it's a lot of information in a deep source, or sometimes it's really wide, taking a lot of different things and putting them together so that, so that they know what's next. And you know, we see that when we go to our Netflix queue, and they found a few more movies that we would be interested in, and they actually match our behavior. We see that when we pull out our Google Android phones, and it knows that this is the time of day that I drive home, and it already has a map queued up ready for me to go for my evening commute. Um, we see that when we are looking at uh, apps like um, the iPhone app that is knowing that I'm, I'm in an airport, therefore these are the kinds of things that I would be using next while I'm in that location. So Will, last week we promised some results on the Pop-Tart survey and test t- uh, taste test. Do you have those with you? I do, as a matter of fact, and it turns out that the Kellogg CEO may be vindicated after all. Pop-Tarts are innovative? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying that the Gone Nutty Pop-Tarts were deemed to be the two most innovative of the four that we taste-tested here at Three Pillar. Wow, I was wrong. So, yeah, small sample size, but at least as far as Pop-Tarts go, the Gone Nutty brand are indeed innovative. So uh, maybe maybe a lot of folks are eating some crows opposed to Pop-Tarts these days. <laughs> there you have it. Good deal. Dan Clausen, thank you very much for joining us, our first guest on the Innovation Engine podcast. It was great to be here. Thank you, Will. Appreciate you joining us, Dan. I I understand we've got a ebook coming out that is all about agile and how you build software products specifically within the agile world. I think there's a lot of great opportunity for companies that are trying to adopt agile to have a starting place to know what uh, practices they might be able to put into place that'll work. And it's really a, a guideline to have a, a, a working model that you can get up and running with and then make modifications up to that model uh, that'll work with your particular organization and your particular projects. Excellent. Well, then everybody can take, keep their eyes open uh, in the second quarter of this year for that, that ebook coming out. Absolutely. Okay, good deal. Thanks again to Dan Clausen for joining us today. Stay tuned for next week's episode when we'll have Jonathan Vihor from the Center for Creative Leadership on to talk about a white paper he co-authored, Becoming a Leader Who Fosters Innovation. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.